Hello and welcome to Explorify Canada podcast. Join us as we sit with other Canadians at the roundtable. To discuss and sometimes argue about financial independence in Canada. Money Mechanic is here today and we have an interview lined up with Fia and Mike from freedom101.ca. Chrissy, how do you feel about doing this interview? Are you ready? I'm so excited. I, I often tell Fia she's like my blogging twin because we, we think so similarly on so many things. So I'm so happy to talk to her and Mike today. It's pretty special. We have both of them on. Yeah. Welcome to the show, guys. Say hi. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, guys. We're super excited to chat with you, too. And I should mention that Ryan, our co-host, is not here today, unfortunately. He's busy lifting boxes off of trucks, as he likes to say. So he'll be back again soon. But for this interview, it's just me and Money Mechanic with the two of you. Right on. Okay, well, this really interesting part and what we're going to sort of focus on a little bit today is that, Fia, Mike, you reached... Uh, financial freedom. I know you like to refer to it as financial freedom. I'll ask you about that in a minute here. But uh, you, you've reached fire. You've achieved fire in your 30s. You've achieved a goal that so many of us are striving towards and working towards. And the stories and the things that you've learned and the perspective you have is, I think, very fascinating for the rest of us and really important to explore. So maybe just before we get too deep into things, if you could just give us a little bit of a rundown about yourselves and uh, and where you are now in life. Yeah, for sure. So um, we're in our mid-30s. Mike's 36 (laughs) now, and I'm 34. And uh, we live in just outside the the city of Vancouver in British Columbia. So we're in the greater Vancouver area. And we kind of stumbled into our journey towards financial freedom. It wasn't quite as clear-cut as learning about the movement and then deciding that that was something we wanted to pursue. It was a kind of a slow progression from the fact that we just wanted to make a change in our life, have an opportunity to get more time back, have more choice about where we went in the future. And so it became this obsession to pay down our debt in order to allow us to have that freedom of choice. And that slowly evolved into pursuing financial freedom and then ultimately into us retiring early from our jobs, which we did about two years ago now. It's so impressive, your story. And uh, as you know, I'm a follower of your blog, so I, I know quite a bit of your story. Uh, you retired a couple of years ago now, I guess, at ages 33 and 34. But you have two kids, and you live near Vancouver, and you were both previously divorced. So any of those things are powerful financial challenges for most people. So tell us more about how you got here. How, how were you so su- successful in overcoming your debt and other challenges? I think one of the big things, Chrissy, was uh, we were able to set goals and we had a really aligned relationship from the beginning. So the whole one plus one can equal three when you're on the same page. And one of the critical things for us, both of us, we did the same thing separately, but we both got divorced and we both kept the property um, which was a real struggle at the time for both of us for different reasons, but we both kept those properties. And when we combined, uh, we both we started with a couple rental properties because of that. And over time, you guys are relatively local and you know how the market's uh, done quite well in Vancouver. Um, so that that was a real jumpstart to, to where we are now today. Mm, so is real estate a big part of your journey? Uh, as far as investing in real estate and having tenants and being landlords? Definitely a big part of what got us here today. I mean, it, it was one, it's one of those things that, that just seems to compound over time. And, uh, you know, when you're not only is the market going up as it has in the last 10 years or so, we've seen a slowdown now, but you know, when you have, can add to tenants paying off your mortgage at the same time, it has a real compounding effect. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the key things there after reading through some of your blog posts and having that helper, the mortgage helper, especially in these high cost of living areas is just can't say enough about it. You you guys said that you paid off your first mortgage in five years. That's fantastic. And now I understand that was you had a suite in your main house as well, right? So are you still running that? Are you still using that passive income flow? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, that was our first mortgage together, just to clarify. So um, the one that we were able to pay off, it was our first together. Uh, 
and the income suite, we just, you know, we live in a relatively big house with only, you know, two kids and the two of us. So we just don't need the house, need the space downstairs. So even after we paid the mortgage off, there was just no reason to recapture the space outside of, you know, maybe 1% of the time when we would have, uh, you know, one out of every 10 Christmases uh, with extended family. But that just wasn't enough to justify uh, leaving tenants. So I think we can make the space we have work and we've decided to just keep running the suite because why not? Anything to add there, honey? Yeah, I will just add on that, that um, it's a huge benefit for us to have the suite. Uh, it was a it was a big boost in terms of our overall plan. The additional rental properties that we had originally gave us the opportunity to take our seven-year mortgage paydown plan and reduce it to five. So it was definitely impactful. I think I like to touch on, though, for people who aren't interested in investing in real estate and don't see that as a viable option for them, that even though we had that and that was great to cut two years off our overall plan, without the rental units, we still would have been on track to do it in seven. So I think it's important to emphasize that it is still very feasible to do without that. It might take a little bit longer, but it is very feasible. So you've mentioned that you started this journey to financial freedom before there, you discovered the FIRE community or that there were other people who were pursuing early retirement. How how did you and Mike get on the same page so early? And how did you s- stumble into this and have such incredible results? Well, I think for Mike, this was something he always wanted to do. He always wanted to eliminate his debt entirely and pay off the mortgage And very early in our relationship, he had brought that up with me. And at the time, I was less than receptive to that prospect. I thought I was relatively money savvy at the time. I thought, oh, no, I've read all these finance books. I have a pretty good handle on finance. I've always read that paying off your mortgage is not the best use of your funds. So it took him uh, some concerted, consistent effort to get me on board with that idea but he just kept he had a lot of patience with me and just kept slowly pointing out the benefits of it and what our life would look like if we didn't have that financial commitment on a month-to-month basis and eventually when I was there when I finally got my mindset there it became the obvious choice for us to just get on board and and go ahead and do that. So I've got a question to throw in here just while we're talking about um, paying off mortgages and there's always a lot of discussion in the FI community about using leverage. Now, whether it means you're using it for further real estate investment, or if you're leveraging it for like leveraging your equity for paper asset equity investing. Do you guys ever discuss that? Or have you, is your plan, you've got it laid out so well that you don't need access to that equity to maintain your, your uh, annual expenses the way you withdraw from it? Do you have that discussion being so debt adverse? Is it not something you go, yeah, we don't even want to do that? Or, hey, look, we've got this equity. Why don't we put it to work for us? What's How does that discussion go between you two? Yeah, it's a great question. And we have discussed it. The first thing we did, or the last thing we did before we retired, I, just, I should say, was that we actually took out a huge line of credit on our on our personal mortgage that we've just never accessed. So on our home mortgage, we because when you're when you're working, you're, the banks are going to give you a little bit more to play with than uh, when your income's a little bit lower. So we made sure to maximize that um, so that we had the option. Right now, it turns out in the in the Vancouver markets just kept going up, and we haven't accessed that for real estate, and we've decided against equities or uh, bonds or any other form of investment at, at this stage. And I think it's just important to talk about and have access to as much buying power. Um, as possible should an opportunity arise that you want to take advantage of. So we discuss it all the time. We definitely use a form of leverage with real estate to get to where we are now. We've just kind of mitigated that um, as the market has flowed up continuously here. And uh, we've kind of eliminated some of that. So we're not leveraged and caught with, you know, too much invested in one allocated to one market. So we definitely discuss it. We definitely think that uh, we may go there again at some point. It's just that's not in the cards right now. I think you bring up a really good point there. And and I've been meaning to bring this up for the listeners in the past when the discussion around mortgages comes up, that when you are working towards FIRE, when you're within, you know, that you're close to your target goal, you you should be going in and getting a big HELOC on your property even if you don't touch it, because once you're not working, it's going to be that much more difficult to qualify for it. 
So for example, we just refied this year and we will be paid off within our five-year term. You know, I planned ahead and said, we need to get a big HELOC on this, even if we don't plan to do any leveraged investing right now, because it's going to be that much harder without T4 slips, right, with our jobs. So I think that's an important part for our listeners to, uh, to think about as they get towards the end of their mortgage payments. Yeah, absolutely. And congrats on your, uh, your work towards getting that paid off less than five years is, is a great accomplishment for anyone at any time, really. Yeah, thanks a lot. I, I really agree with, you know, your, your thinking there with debt and everything. And it's really powerful psychologically to not have that uh, looming over your heads, as it were. Absolutely. And that, that was one of the, you, you touched on it, but that was one of our, our biggest uh, caveats was that the, the psychological component behind eliminating something like that and just having access to that amount of cash flow coming in every month and, you know, thinking about what you could do with that aside from just paying down your biggest asset. Um, so that was really powerful for us. And I think it can be for a lot of people, even if the investment percentages don't in the long term, 30 years from now, necessarily make you wealthier. You have to really ask yourself and break down how much wealth do you need at the end of the day? And, and what, what can, what are you giving up now? Um, versus what you're getting in the back end. So, you know, we ha- we have those discussions all the time, Fia and I. So, Mike, I'd like to go back to your earlier journey into financial freedom. I-, I read on one of the posts you wrote that your dad was a big influence in that he taught you that debt is not a great thing and you should try to avoid it. But uh, as I've already asked, Fia, you-, you didn't discover FIRE or the community until I think after you reached financial freedom. So what other resources did you uh, use to get yourself to the stage that you're at? Or was it all completely just uh, how you're brought up and what your dad taught you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and it was definitely a slow roll with Fia at the beginning, but she, you know, she's very logic based and she eventually came on board. She sometimes sells herself short on, on her role in that. But, you know, it's always been, he always just kind of said, don't, don't know anything to anyone. And that always kind of resonated with me. And, and as I got older, I just thought, you know, I'm taking on these huge amounts on these mortgages and, and they're, they were really, I looked at it as a bit of an anchor on the things we could do and how we could live our life. And I thought, you know, if we can eliminate that, man, does it ever open up our options? And I've always had this, yeah, an interest in finance. So I've read books from an early age, you know, and and I just thought that, you know, if we can, if we can get rid of this biggest debt, then it just, it just opens the door for really anything. Like we didn't even consider early retirement when we were first talking about paying our mortgage, but here we are five years, you know, seven years later, I guess now. And uh, neither of us are working. We both thought that we would work for at least another 10 or 15 years when we first started the goal. So I guess you just you set one goal and you continuously reassess and the direction you want to head in together. And if you can get on the same page, man, it can be powerful. And so really that, that for him, that was one of the biggest things. He just never liked having debt of any sort and uh, would, would mention that all the time. And so it, it stuck with me. That's incredible that you took so much from what your dad taught you. And you know, I, I still, I'm just amazed that you came so far. Like, I, I came into the community with it already well-established. Mr. Money Mustache was already writing for a few years. And there were lots of, a few podcasts out at the time when I first discovered the FIRE community. And that's when I was fully awakened, even though I was always really good with my money. I I, I didn't know all these strategic things that you seem to have just ingrained in you. So I'm I'm so impressed that you, you've discovered all this and just worked through it on your own. So kudos to the two of you. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, that's kind of you to say. I think that we've had some help along the way, you know, and, and uh, the support of each other along the way too at, at, at a critical point in our life. But it's nice of you to say, and, and we definitely didn't get here alone. Just different, you know, discovering it at different times. Everybody, it's it's like anything. It's like the money adds up in a compounding fashion. The information around how to do that is the same thing, right? It, it compounds as well over time. And, you know, what I if I could go back to when I was 12 years old and take what we know now about finance and apply it, then I, I think we'd be in an even better position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and speaking to the journey you're on now, you are post-financial freedom and Fia writes a lot on your blog about you know, the journey you've been on in the last couple of years, how you guys have really improved your lifestyle. And you have quite an interest, it seems, in many life exper- experiments like the keto diet and cold <laughs> therapy. <laughs> to yeah. me, it sounds like it's pretty fun and rewarding for you. But did you see yourself here 
even 10 years ago, did you know you'd be living this amazing life with Bia <laughs> and your kids? Yeah, no, definitely not. You know, I think it just speaks to how poor we are at predicting our future selves. And, uh, and so no, yeah, it's, I'm definitely a three month, I like to try new things. And, and I kind of go really hard at something for a little while, and then try to move on to something else. And I'm just trying to find our place in this new life still and find some new interests and try new things and try to try to share those experiences with Fia and our, and our two boys. I think that's one of the things I find most fascinating reading through the blog there is that the challenges and the interests that you've, you didn't really know that you needed to have, but you've since developed and the transition, it's really interesting to read how you, the transition from your working lives to your retired lives, when I don't think any of us are really prepared for that. Right. And I was reading the one you Fia wrote recently here, talk about feeling a sense of dissonance uh, once you leave your job. I'd like to hear you. What have you got on the go right now? Like Chrissy pointed out, uh, the cold therapy and the keto. What's what's the next big thing? What are you working on? You guys just had a big trip, so what's new? Right now, we're kind of in a brief lull um, because we're back to school, of course, and so we're just kind of getting back into the groove of having been traveling over the summer and getting back home and getting back into kind of our usual routines. But um, on top of Mike's keto, intermittent fasting, all that jazz that we did over the last five, six months, um, he also, he started jujitsu as well. So that's a new thing that he's been taking part in. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, it's been a really cool experience because our oldest son is also in jujitsu. So it's given them a really cool opportunity to learn together and practice uh, both at the, the studio and here at home. They, um, they bought some uh, rolling mats that are now out in our gym. And so they are able to do that together uh, whenever they feel so inspired, which I love because it's a great place to send all three boys out to do their thing <laughs> and rough house, not in my living room. Um, so I'm very supportive of that. I think that's been absolutely fantastic. And I've actually been working a lot on just um, being local and spending more time with the social group I have here and also traveling to see my family as much as I can. Um, my sister just had a little one last October. So being able to get the cousins together, the t my, our little one and her little one together and make sure they have quality time and are building a good solid relationship from an early age has become a priority for me for sure. I would just add to that, um, that Fia has done a really good job transitioning. I think we both had our challenges transitioning from working full-time to being off full-time. And Fia has done a much better job than I have at creating a new social network. And that, that's one of my challenges that I've had is, is getting that adult time outside of your spouse. And uh, most of my socialization just came from my work hours, like most of us, most of us have. And so I've, I really haven't branched out probably enough yet, but Fia's done an excellent job in that. I've taken up a bunch of new interests and she's kind of jumped on board with that. So again, we kind of try to complement each other. I socialize through her new group of friends and she's, you know, cooking new meals and getting, going into cold showers and <laughs> crazy things that she probably wouldn't do otherwise. So it's nice to have both people doing, doing their own thing and then trying to come together with some of it as well. Yeah, it sounds like you have both found and you're settling into these new routines that you've discovered post-financial freedom. And I, I really like how FIA differentiates financial freedom from FI because there there is a very slight subtle difference, but it's an important difference. And uh, if it's okay, I'd like to read uh, one line from one of your posts that compares them. Sure. Um, so you wrote, for freedom seekers, it's not about reaching the goal of FI as quickly as possible. It's about what financial independence gives you, which is freedom. But freedom isn't so great if you're on such a restricted budget that you can't do the things you really enjoy. That's not freedom. That's just someone with a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> so I, I think that's a fantastic quote. And the interesting thing is you wrote this, I think, about two years ago. And what's interesting is that I feel like the FI community has changed and evolved and now kind of lives up to what you said there, that, that people are realizing it's not just about the money and, you know, getting out of your job. It's, it's about what comes after that. So can you speak a little more to that and why, you know, you, you prefer the term financial freedom rather than financial independence? 
Yeah, absolutely. It has been really interesting. I think over the last, I would say, six months, I've really noticed a substantial shift in the financial community and how people are talking about the journey and what they want when they arrive. Um, I think, I think like so many trends out there, when it first comes on the scene and people are really excited about it, they're just kind of seeing that one major goal. And I feel like that was kind of phi at the beginning as people saw it, they're like, Oh, that's a possibility. I can do that. Let's get after it and do everything in our ability to just arrive there. We'll worry about the rest when we've gotten there. And I think it's been around long enough now that a lot of people are getting towards the back end of their journey and starting to question, okay, well then what comes next and how is this going to be when we are actually living on this this set uh, budget that we've established for us. And is that really what we want our lives to look like? And for me, that's always been the difference between FI and financial freedom is I don't want to just be in a space where I've achieved, I've cut my expenses so low that yes, I can, I can classify myself as financially independent. I can live off the money that I'm generating, but it's not the lifestyle that I envision for myself. For me, financial freedom is all about having the passive income sources to fund my ideal lifestyle. And I think that ideal lifestyle is something that's really coming through in the fire space now is how do you get that? And not only how do you get that, how can we implement it along the way as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that sums it up really nicely. And I, I agree with you, there seems to be a recent shift in the mindset of the whole FI community towards this freedom mindset, rather than just focusing on the money and um, having the expenses covered and all that kind of just it's not just a numbers game. Absolutely. I think that's the key to it is is uh, looking beyond the numbers and seeing, seeing money as a tool. And the tool a tool is great, but you, there's no sense having a tool if you don't know how to use it or what you want to use it for. And so being able to look past the money and see what do I want in my life? What brings me value? And then set a financial plan that aligns with those values. That's where people I think are starting to head towards as they're as a larger movement in in the fire movement is how can I get this ideal lifestyle? How can I set these goals and look beyond the money numbers to what really brings my life happiness, fulfillment and contentment. And personally, I think that's, it's just wonderful that that's starting to be where people are moving towards. Yeah. I think early on that there was a movement, the movement was really catered towards a lot of people on extreme budgets and looking, you know, to live in a van down by the river and be content with that. <laughs> um, but I think as it's, uh, it's interesting because as it's progressed, I think that you're seeing more and more people that, you know, that's not going to appeal to everyone, right? So there is a path, there's, there, there's an extreme end on the other side, and there's all kinds of spots in the middle. And it's really different for everyone. So I think what, what Fiat touches on there is, is identifying your values and what it is you're looking to get out of it on the front end can really speed up your process uh, to achieving and setting some real goals and to achieving them. Yeah, you speak a lot about goal setting, and I'm interested. I've been following along a little bit with the new series on the blog. You're doing a 52-week series, which is impressive. You're keeping up every week. Thanks. I was reading about uh, self-authoring that came out earlier in, uh, in September, and that got me pretty curious there. I just read through your blog, and I went to the site, and I started looking into it, but I haven't uh, dug too deeply into it yet. You said your brother sent you the program, but how did you come across that? And what's, how valuable is that for uh, people on their path to FI? Yeah, thanks. I actually was really excited about that self-authoring post because uh, I really enjoyed the program. I thought it was a really amazing tool for people who are looking to um, get into the FIRE movement and or already on their path. But um, I got introduced to the program by my brother. He and I are both uh, fans of Jordan Peterson. Uh, We both enjoy a lot of his work. And so when the program came out, my brother had heard about it and he was interested in doing the program for himself and kind of exploring how he could make a three to five year plan for his own goal setting. And so when he was purchasing it, it it gave him a two for one option. And right away, he thought of me and reached out and said, Hey, do you want to give this a try? And so at first, I was like, Oh, yeah, you know, I've done a lot of those kind of goal setting frameworks and planning. And so I don't know if I'm going to get a ton out of it. But 
because it was produced by Jordan Peterson, my, my curiosity was piqued and I wanted to check it out. So I did it. And I mentioned in the blog that I actually went through the whole program twice. Um, the first was in a more general fashion, which is how the program's intended you to walk through it in terms of thinking about your, your past, how you kind of what experiences, what life experiences have brought to you to where you are today uh, both the good and the bad, and then kind of assessing your present, your present weaknesses, your present strengths, what you have, what your what your tools are available to you, and then thinking up ahead to your future and identifying your ideal future, but also identifying your least ideal future. So, what what would be your um, kind of Shangri La life, and what would be what would be hell for you as an individual and really delving into those thought that those thought processes of identifying what each of those scenarios would entail. So that was a great experience. I, I would highly recommend that to everyone to try that for themselves. I think a lot of goal setting plans don't involve the prospect of focusing on what would be your hell. Um, and that in and of itself, I think was a very valuable exercise but what I liked most about it from a financial perspective is I went back and did it again, strictly through a financial lens and really started looking at some of my goals and what the underlying motivations were for those financial goals. And what I really started to see come through personally was that, you know, some of those goals were really when I got down to the nitty gritty and drilled down on the surface, I thought they were for me and I thought they were for bringing me value, but when I really asked myself the hard questions, it became clear that some of those goals were more about proving myself to people around me, feeling kind of a need to demonstrate that a level of success. And so when I started to realize that, then I was able to ask the questions of, is this something that you need to have as a goal? Is this going to be a financial waste of money, a, a waste of my time and invested effort? And what is it really going to bring me in terms of value and contentment? So that process, I think, really helped me in terms of identifying where, where Mike and I want to go from here and what kind of financial goals we want to set as we move forward. And the more I worked through the program, the more I thought this is something that I think anybody who's trying to build a financial plan would really benefit from doing because it really forces you to ask yourself those hard questions of not just what do I want to do, but why exactly do I want to do this? Is it really for me? Is it really for us? Is it really for my family? Is it, or is it for some other reason that maybe I don't need to actually pursue it? Yeah, that's awesome. I think we can all agree that Finding your your why of FI, if we want to focus on that side of the discussion, is is such an important part when you start the journey. And I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe aren't super clear on what their why is. And I'll be the first to admit that I'm not super clear what my life looks like after I achieve FI. So I'm interested. I think I'm going to try the program too because uh, I could definitely use some direction. So I'm glad you write about these type of things on your blog because it really brings a lot of psychology into focus that, uh, that I don't usually do a lot of reading on. So it's nice to get away from the nuts and bolts and see <laughs> you know, the financial side of it and see some psychology side. I really appreciate those articles. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I, for me, I think it's, you can, you can write and talk about the numbers and I think the numbers are, are really important. But I think once people, especially people who are you know a year or two into their financial journey, once you've got those numbers down, then there's this space where then you kind of have time to question, okay, what's beyond the numbers here? And what do I want to get out of this? And so for people who are like in your position and Chrissy's position, who have a really good handle on how, what they need to do, how they need to do it, executing it beautifully. It's that, it's like that, that layer deeper to delve into the journey. And I think it can have really positive effects on your transition to FI when you arrive there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned before that one of the things we really love about your blog is you're giving us a peek into life post-financial freedom. We've read all your posts, but can you share on the podcast some of the major lessons both of you have learned now that you're on the other side? Are there things people can do to prepare for this better? And what, what can we expect that we may not be thinking of? You know, a little along the lines of what we were just talking about, 
was that a lot of people's why, and I think we can relate to this on why they're looking to get out is to get out of their job, not necessarily what they're looking at to go to go forward and what they want to do when they get out of their job, but they're just not happy with where they are in life or what they're now currently doing in their career. They didn't see their life at you know mid thirties um, turning out the way it it currently looks, and I think Fee and I can both relate to that. And we didn't spend as much time on the front end. Um, studying the why, why we want to do this. It was more about we don't want to do what we're doing. We don't want to continue grinding um, and doing something that we didn't have the same passion for as we once did. And so that, that, that's that been a real eye-opener because, you know, all of a sudden you stop and you're not you're, all your problems aren't automatically solved, right? You, you're still going to have to find something to do that gives you value and that gives you a reason to get up in the morning. And so preparing, you know, trying to find, I would say trying to find hobbies before you retire, things that you enjoy outside of your work interactions and your work relationships, as many as possible, give yourself options and uh, trial that a little bit. Don't just focus on every dollar and cent. Enjoy the process because um, once you get there, you're you're there and uh if you don't have something to do or other relationships that that are meaningful outside of your work environment you're going to struggle and i definitely went through some of that in the first year Mm -hmm. yeah you you've mentioned that and that is one of my husband's worries his once he stops working he will lose that social network of the people he's friends with at work and via wrote about this too how some of the friends will stay but most of them kind of drop off because you have you've lost that thing you had in common which was your job so do you have any advice for people like my husband because he's worried that everyone that is going to be free during the daytime will be old older people in their <laughs> 70s, 70s, 80s, right? That's why you go. That's why you join the bridge club. That's yeah, right. Like, am I going to be limited to lawn bowling? Like, what, what, what do you do? <laughs> totally. Well, as Mike and I mentioned in our post about that, um, it's not that simple because the bridge club won't let us in. We're not old enough, <laughs> so, and I'm pretty sure the lawn bowling club would feel similarly. We, yeah. we don't meet their requirements for their age range, so. Um, I think if I was to do it over again, I would focus a lot of effort on building up the hobbies and interests that I do have and developing a social network that's surrounding those as opposed to a social network that's that's really centered around work, which I think a lot of people have is a social network that's centered around work. So just putting the foundation in place of having social networks outside of your work I think for us, that was even more pertinent because both of us moved. Um, we both relocated for our work when we were 1920. So we lost a lot of the relationships that we had built in those years when we moved here. And um, for people who are still in their hometown or they're still in areas where they have those those relationships from school and and before post post career relationships, I don't think they would experience as much of a of a transitional struggle in that capacity. But for people who have relocated and who do have their social network largely centered around their their career, I think it's very important to be aware of it and to look ahead and to start building those networks outside. And that I think would create a much more seamless transition between the two because it's it happened very quickly. And as soon as we were out of the job, it, it was almost surprising, but not at the same time. I mean, you can see how it would happen, but it happened very quickly that you, it's a fork in the road and suddenly you are on two very, very different paths and you lose that common ground and that, and, and from there you lose the frequency of seeing people and the proximity to them. And it, it's just a slow erosion of your friendship. So I think for me, that would be an area I would have focused on more. And I really didn't give it much thought at the time. I just assumed I would deal with that once I was there. And then I think the second thing is for people who really enjoy enjoy working, but not necessarily what they're currently in, is having ideas of what jobs, side hustles, just hobbies, interests you want to pursue when you when you make that transition. Because it's nice to have something where you can get that sense of productivity and achievement that's not work-related. Mm-hmm. But I think for your husband... Um when he's talking about relationships outside of work, it's, you know, the strongest relationships are typically formed in times of need. So when you think about going to school, graduating, starting a new career, you're going to find relationships with people that are going through the same similar, similar thing that you are. And you don't really know anything. 
you're new, you're trying to make friends and you're trying to just get through it. So those relationships are formed and they, they can become quite strong. You have frequency, proximity, common ground at that time. So that's how those relationships are formed. When you retire, you, you don't, you're not putting yourself in those experiences. You're not exposing yourself the same way. So I think it's really important. So for me, if you had talked about it earlier, but a, a good example is me starting jujitsu. It's something I'm, I'm absolutely terrible at, but it's physical. It's good for me. It's uh, doing something with my son and it's reconnected me with some of my former workmates uh, that's kept me in contact with them as well as developed some new relationships. Uh, and, and it's something, don't be afraid to be bad at something and try something new. I would say, I would suggest just try, try something that you think you might be interested in that you might get some value out of and be, be bad, like, you know, put yourself in that more vulnerable position where you need other people to help you get better at whatever it is you choose to do. Right. And, uh, that, that just kind of opens, opens the door to new relationships, I think. I think that's all so insightful. It's great to hear it from someone who's been there and you've admittedly struggled at first. So it's interesting to have that insight that from someone who did it and came through and now you can share your knowledge with other people. Yeah, definitely. And it's a, it's a, it's a process, right? Like it's a continuous, you never, it's like anything. It's like a happy marriage. You're never just there and you never have to do anything again, right? You have to continuously work at it. And, uh, you know, you think, you know, it's kind of like paying off your mortgage is a different thing because you get there, you have a goal and then it's done. And then it's almost not, it, it's very exciting. It's not disappointing, but then it's just done. Now your big goal in life is over, but these types of things, developing relationships require just continuous, like, you know, drive and, and, uh, and challenge it's continuously challenging. So you got to keep working at it. I think that's, that's great advice. You know, I work a, a shift out of town and then I'm back at home and I've got to often end up with days at home where I'm by myself, you know, the wife's at work. Right. And it can be very easy to just stay home and tinker around the house rather than, you know, going out and doing some volunteer work or connecting with others in the community or, or creating these social circles that you're talking about. So I can definitely relate to that, how unless we continue to work on it, uh, we can easily slip into complacency and just not have those contacts when we need them. Oh, totally. And it's easier. And I, I like I'm an introvert at heart. So like I can put on a good face most of the time, but I'll stay home. I'm a homebody. I'll, I'm happy staying home day after day. Most times, uh, you, you know, we'll get out and about, but that doesn't mean that we're socializing in any meaningful capacity. Right. So I think Fia is a little bit of an introvert that as well. And with the two of us, um, we can totally relate to that. And it is, it is a challenge at times when you don't have to be somewhere or no one's relying on you to do something and accomplish something. You got to push yourself a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Totally. One other thing I would add to that, and I'm kind of just discovering it and becoming more aware of it now, two years after we retired is that when you're in the thick of things and you're really busy and you, you know, you've, you've got a family, you're working a job, you've got everything going on. I find that at least I found for myself is you tend to get become very uh, protective of your time. And so you, you, you set boundaries and you set clear boundaries to protect that time in a, in a very strong way. Otherwise you just wouldn't have enough, enough available to get everything done that you need to get done. And since retiring, I now have so much more choice over my time, but I found that that ingrained habit of being protective of it and saying no to things and not being as open to new experiences is still there and still present. So that's something I've had to very consciously just recently start to kind of battle back against that response and say, no, okay, I do have the time. Now, is it something that I actually want to do or not? So rather than that no being my go-to response, just really evaluating the experience or the opportunity and saying, hey, is this something I could get benefit out of? Or is this something I would enjoy? Or maybe is this something where I could help someone else? And is this a way I want to spend my time and being more open to, to being more generous with my time? That's something that I never would have thought of uh, being a challenge, but it actually has been quite a challenge. It's interesting. You go from being very intentional with your money to having the opposite problem and having to be very intentional with your time because you, now you have it available to you. So how do you want to spend it uh, most meaningfully? Exactly. So I have a question just out of curiosity. As a stay-at-home mom, when both of my kids finally started school and both were you know, in kindergarten or, or up full-time, I had most of the day to myself again. And people often referred to that as your princess year. They would tease me and say, oh, you have your princess year. You can now, now you can you know, kick back and put up your feet. And I found it was completely the opposite. I felt like I almost had less time because 
now the floodgates were opened. I had the time to take on more and more and more. Uh, do you find that now that you're financially free that you, you don't know how you fit in work before all of this? I would say yes and no. And so no for me because I, I have had that kind of that um, remaining habit of being really protective with my time. So I have found that I consistently just reflexively say no, 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 no. And then I'm like, oh, I have this free time. I could have done that. And now I'm not doing anything. So it's been a very slow adjustment, but I can see how the pendulum would swing very quickly the other way. And as I've started to be a bit more generous with my time and take on more things, I have also been kind of reminding myself to just keep it in balance um, so that it, I don't allow it to swing the other way and then completely essentially overschedule and overcommit myself to the point where I'm, I'm wondering how I ever fit in work because we do have pretty full lives now, but I feel like as much as they're full, they're, they're, in, they're very intentional right now. And we don't have as much um, of the feeling of like the rat race, right? The, the surviving the day, that element of busyness and hustle and bustle and, and just rushing from one thing to the next is gone. And I just really don't want that back in our lives. So I've, I've been really, really protecting against that feeling, perhaps a little too much. <laughs> and Mike, how about you? Would you echo what Fia has said, or has it been different for you? I'd say it's very been very similar. I'm quite protective of our time as well. We in our in our lives have learned to say no, and uh, there's a time to say yes. There's a time to say no. Sometimes you know we probably say no a little bit too much, but uh, we're we're learning. I definitely think it's a real risk, though, if you're someone that is a is a yes person and you and you like to you like to get a lot of value from helping people and and giving your time away there's tons of people asking for it so um so be careful i would say you know and then there's a different expectation when when uh, around your social network sometimes when people realize you oh you're not working they think you have more time than you often do because everybody fills their days uh, with something so you know, there can be an additional expectation on top of that from other people that that can be challenging. Yeah, I find that as a stay at home mom, I often people have made small comments here and there, not often, but but I do sometimes feel like I have to defend myself and prove that I'm busy doing things of value. And I can see if you're retired at such a young age, people definitely would question you and, you know, give you side eye and, you know, wonder what the heck are you doing all day? Yeah, def definitely. That's definitely something that that does happen, and uh, you know we're still learning. I think to deal how to deal with it, and every everyone's reaction is a little bit different. So uh, we're 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 starting to see see a lot of them though after two years, and I, th I think we're managing them pretty well. Definitely, definitely a concern. So I was just thinking of switching gears here for a second. I have a question. I'm curious about getting a little bit more into the fundamentals of the numbers. Since you've been retired, you, you've got whatever your portfolio is and your passive income. Has it grown more than you expected because of the power of time and compounding that you're working towards your goal? Now you're a few years in. Did you overshoot? Are you looking at going like, wow, it's, it's, we're, we're taking on what we need to live and we're living a comfortable, intentional life and, and it continues to grow? Is that happening or is it, are you slowly doing a withdrawal strategy that you had planned? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, for us, I think that we, you know, Fia mentioned we're a little bit conservative in our planning, and that's translated now to something that has continued to grow. So, you know, part of that is that real estate has continued to, to go up in Vancouver. And along with real estate, so has the, you know, the equities that we're invested in. So everything has continued to grow. Um, I would say that we're, we, underestimated our spending in retirement. And so we've been able to continue to save into our tax deferred accounts every year, as well as just just kind of piling up a uh, an emergency fund slash, you know, investment opportunity, if it comes up uh, fund. So yeah, a, we've, we've been very fortunate. And uh, we, we over we over mitigated our risk in that area. So yeah, it, it's like you, you push that snowball over the edge, and it just keeps rolling. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to hear because so many of us on the path are, are so focused on the accumulation and we lose sight of the power of compounding that's going to continue to happen uh, down the road. You know, even when we stop our jobs and 
making big contributions to it. It just keeps on keeps on rolling. Like you said, that's a good analogy. The snowball over the hill. Yeah, definitely. I think Mr. Money Mustache actually has a post on this where most people uh, overestimate what they need. And we definitely fell into that category. Well, nothing wrong with that. It's good to have a good backup plans and safety nets. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think that we're more comfortable with that. It more suits our personality and the lifestyle that we were hoping to continue to lead. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, we had a big, uh, well, a bit of a debate on the FI Garage about that, about whether people in the FI community are too conservative. And I, my argument was that I think we are all naturally too conservative because that's kind of why we're on the path to FI and how we're, how we're setting all those plans for the future is from a conservative standpoint. Yeah, you don't want to be wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. That's right. So yeah. I think that that, that drove me, uh, to, uh, both of us, to uh, make sure we weren't. <laughs> Well, I'll also say though, there's like even if you are wrong though, the the worst case scenario is you're uh, going back to work is everybody's normal reality. So it's well, <laughs> it's that's very the true. Worst possible thing. That, that's it. That's <laughs> very true. So it could it could be a lot worse. That's for sure. Well, it's been a fantastic discussion with you both. There's uh there's so much for us to learn from you and from your experiences, and our listeners should definitely check out your blog. Freedom 101. There's so much insightful content there. And you're working on a, a pretty ambitious project right now. Just uh, fill us in before we go on what your latest and greatest is on the blog. Sure. Thanks for that. Um, we're working right now on actually a 52-week series. So we started it uh, about eight weeks ago now. And I think we're about to hit week week nine shortly here. It's really been an opportunity for me to take a deep dive into examining this whole thing of freedom where we're at we've done the numbers part we've arrived now deep diving into how do we optimize this freedom of our time as best we can and get the most out of it that we can for ourselves for our family for our kids and so it's been an opportunity for me to look at the actions that we took to get here really assess if there was anything else that maybe we could have done that would have put us into a better position and then try to implement that now And a lot of it is from a a psychological standpoint in terms of mindset and uh, our personality types and evaluating kind of the the deeper layer of financial freedom. And so that's been a lot of fun for me. It's definitely a a thing I'm very interested in, a topic, topics I'm very interested in. So it'll hopefully continue for the next 44 weeks or so as we delve through this and just try and find ways to optimize our time and optimize this experience and everything that we've worked towards and hopefully give people who are on the path some insight into things and considerations they might want to implement before they reach financial freedom or fire and also people who are have already arrived just some ideas on areas they might want to re-examine um, to get the most out of what they've worked so hard to achieve. Look forward to reading more of it. Are we? Uh, are you co-authoring it with Mike, or am I waiting for another one of his blogs to come post come out separately? I think we discuss most of the posts, but Fia is definitely the primary writer. I will. Uh, I will definitely try to put out some more content along with to complement those those posts. But uh, you know, we discuss them all. But she's uh, she's the hero on that. Right on. Christy, should we uh, roll into our signature questions? And this time, we'll actually use Ryan's. We won't skip mine like we did before. (laughs) (laughs) We're terrible. (laughs) We're getting better as we go. Okay. (laughs) Well, I got to pick on Ryan when he's not here because he picks on me. So So, uh, usually I start, and I think I know the answer to this. (laughs) My question. Are you team fi or team fire? But I'm pretty sure your answer is going to be something else altogether. (laughs) <laughs> we're team financial freedom for sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> off door number three okay well my question always revolves around something do it yourself so you've got all this time now you're retired have you taken any steps to learn about diy around the house or with the car or kids toys things like that what have you learned with all the time honey you got to take this one she is a diy <laughs> specialist always has been if you could do a podcast on that, Fia could fill hours and hours of content. Oh, I like it. Well, um, we've learned a lot. I, I do have a passion for all things DIY. So this year I actually took it upon myself to plant uh, a garden in the planters I had built many years ago and just built and didn't put anything in because 
as much as I can build things, I can't grow things. I have a tendency to kill them. <laughs> so for me, I've been trying to learn how to be a gardener and how to actually grow things. Um, so that's been a huge learning thing for me. But I also had the, a great opportunity to uh, renovate uh, a house with my dad this past spring. And that was probably the biggest DIY renovation job I've taken on and so to be able to do it with him and we learned a lot I learned a lot in the process just about the planning pieces of pieces of renovating that I haven't had to deal with in terms of just the overall plan of getting everything in place and putting it all together um, was a big learning curve for me but it was a great opportunity and I walked away from it having having an awesome time with my dad and also building a lot of skills and improving on a lot of things in terms of flooring and kitchens and paint and you name it, electrical, plumbing, you name it. <laughs> wow. I was not expecting you to tell me you built a house. That is super <laughs> impressive. Well done. Well done. Yeah. I wasn't kidding when I, when I said she does it all. And and just to clarify, uh, it wasn't a built house, but it was an older renovation. So I think that house was built in the fifties. Is that right for you? Yeah. The forties. So it had a lot of hidden surprises for us. <laughs> yeah well those are the worst ones because nothing is square so it's yeah everything's custom that's exactly true <laughs> nothing yeah. nothing was square <laughs> nothing so ryan's question he always wants to know what your orders are from tim hortons <laughs> yeah so T tim hortons it would definitely be a black coffee for me these days keto doesn't allow for uh much sugar or cream so i, I would get a black coffee probably a large it's probably that and water is the only thing you're allowed to have from Tim Hortons. Yeah, yeah you can actually add uh, heavy cream. So pouring cream, they call it different things all over the world. But essentially, whipping cream in a liquid format is okay. But I usually don't do that in the morning. Fair enough. Fia? See, this is hard for me because I am a hardcore Starbucks fan. Uh, and I <laughs> almost never, like, like never order from Tim Hortons. So I could give you like 18 different go-to orders at Starbucks, but Timmy's is a struggle for me. <laughs> if I had to, if I absolutely had to, I would say I would probably just order a uh, medium coffee with nothing in it because they don't have coconut milk or almond milk or anything <laughs> that I put in my coffee there. <laughs> well, thank you so much, guys. Uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you, and it's great to have uh, your perspective of post-fire life. Uh, it helps the rest of us in the community. And again, they can reach you at uh, read your blog post at Freedom101. Uh, it is .ca, isn't it, before I yes. mess that up? Yes, .ca. And where else can our listeners find you? Well, you can usually find me on Twitter. I've been a little inactive, admittedly, over the summer, but I'm getting back into it now. So they can find me on Twitter, Freedom101FIA. And uh, we're also on Pinterest, but you can find the links to that on our blog. Perfect. Right on. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It was an awesome chat, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, it was a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening. You can find all our show notes at explorifycanada.ca. Do you like what you're hearing? Help us grow by sharing the show with friends and family. Please subscribe and leave us a comment or review on your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca, canadianfire.ca, or eatsleepbreathefy.com. Our music today was provided by Purple Planet. We'll be back with another episode soon. We'll talk then.